In America, our food choices are not always the healthiest, and we often eat for all the wrong reasons when we feel tired, stressed, anxious, or sad. As a result, we feel sluggish and lethargic and caffeinate ourselves to get through the day. Does that describe you? Believe it or not, there is a direct link between your stomach and your soul. We'll be going through a church-wide Daniel Fest in which we cut out the carbs, comfort food, and eat clean, primarily fruit, vegetables, and water. The 40-day fast is meant to tame our flesh and train our spirit to constantly choose Jesus over donuts, pizza, alcohol, and coffee. Join us for a life-changing experience. In just 40 days, you can feel better physically, mentally, and spiritually. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Liquid. Uh, I'm Tim, one of the pastors here. And uh, hey, let's give a big old Liquid welcome to all of our campuses. Liquid Essex, Middlesex, Somerset, Union, all our campuses are with us today. We're thrilled that you guys are joining us. Welcome. Uh, We are entering Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. And today we got to celebrate because, guys, you are less than one week away from finishing our 40-day fast. Anybody ready to give up carrots and hummus? That's the biggest hallelujah we've gotten all day. That's awesome. Uh, We're ready to finish this thing, and I want to let you know just a few details about that. This Friday night is the finish line, so hang in there. Don't ring that quit bell. It's really amazing. We're going to officially finish our fast uh, this Friday, March 30th, after dinner, and that's appropriate because this Friday is a special Friday. You guys know what Friday is? It is Good Friday. That is the day that Christians traditionally commemorate the day that Jesus was crucified, which is appropriate. Uh, We planned it this way because for 40 days, you will have been crucifying your flesh. We've been denying ourselves all sorts of typical pleasures, right? Many of us doing the Daniel fast where we've kind of cut out the carbs and the coffee and all the comfort food. Uh, Many of you have eliminated alcohol or sweets. Uh, Some have sacrificed social media just as a way to identify with our Savior's sacrifice and really draw closer to Christ uh, during this season of Lent. That's the 40 days leading up to Easter. Now, Uh, As you know, Easter is next Sunday, April 1st, and I do want to just, you know, echo what you've heard. Let me just encourage you, get your free tickets today. We have 16 services on Easter weekend at all of our campuses because we want to make extra room for your family and friends who may be visiting. You can get them online. The tickets are free, liquidchurch.com slash Easter. But I'm excited for the the sermon. I've been working on it for the last four weeks, and I don't want to give anything away, but I'll give you a hint. I am going to show, through, show you what breakthrough looks like in a big way, okay? That's all I'll say, okay? We have a surprise plan. I want you to know this, a heads up. I'm going to give a very clear presentation of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that is very creative. It's very easy to understand. So be sure to invite your friends and family who don't know Jesus yet. That's the whole point, right? We want you, they're going to have a chance next Sunday to join God's family for the first time and put their faith in Christ. So I promise you Easter's going to be epic. Make sure you go online when you get home, get your free tickets, and make sure you invite those you love. Because Easter is better when you're hashtag not by your selfie. Do I get a dollar for that? I always told I get a dollar every time I say that. All right. 
Hey, I'm also going to share a couple of cool stories of breakthrough uh, in the campuses of the church, but also some battles, because that's what a lot of us have experienced through this fast. You know, on the one hand, breakthrough, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I heard from two people this week who received God's provision of a brand new job. That's actually what they were fasting for. And this past week, it was amazing. They just saw God's hand in an incredible way. Uh, another family who had a breakthrough with their children. Some people experiencing actually God's healing touch, people getting off medication. Praise God. Breakthroughs are awesome. But you know what? The number one breakthrough I keep hearing is people saying, I have never felt closer to Christ. Amen? They have felt this increased hunger for God and experience, and I think you felt that. There's like this spiritual quickening happening in our church through this fast. People are hungry for God to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, remember, fasting's not about it, your diet. It's about the heart behind it. In fact, this week I received an email from a woman in Ireland who has been fasting along with us. She listens online. Throw it up on the screen. I want to read this. Hey, Liquid Church, my name is Claire. Should I use my Irish accent? Uh, no. Uh, my name's Claire. After listening to the Five Reasons to Fast podcast, admittedly, while enjoying a glass of kava and family-sized pack of potato chips, I felt challenged to join the fast. As I have a husband and kids to cater for, I decided to go for alcohol and social media. What struck me was the large selection of things I could put in their place before prayer. Netflix, junk food, chocolate, superficial or gossipy chat, the list goes on. But I persevered, spent time in worship, scripture, and other teachings just trying to listen to the Lord. Our life has been challenging like many others in the last months. Our youngest diagnosed with autism, our eldest ill during important school exams, finances all in the mix. My prayer for months has been the, seriously, Lord, how much more do you think I can take? Do you not see me? Some of you are like, amen. As I was praying last week, listen to this, I saw myself talking with Jesus, and rather than a 10-point plan, he said, I know. But this was not the risen Jesus speaking, but the crucified Jesus, the broken Jesus, covered in dirt and blood. In that instant, I realized that he understood every bit of hurt, disappointment, grief, and every other emotion that was in my heart, and the blessed relief was indescribable. I felt him take my hand and say, come on, we'll do this together. Life is the same as it was four weeks ago, but my perspective is radically different. God is good, and I am not alone. For your prayer and messages, I am grateful from far away. That's from Claire in Ireland. Killarney! Praise God for you, Claire. You're not alone. You guys, you aren't alone. We have people across the Atlantic who are fasting with you. But I love what she said. Hey, my circumstances didn't change, but what changed? My heart. I had an encounter with Christ, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So no matter what you're going through, you have the resurrection power of God in you to get you through to the other side. So don't be discouraged if nothing's happened or changed, or maybe life's gotten harder, because a lot of people are still going through battles, right? On the one hand, breakthroughs, on the other, battles. Uh, for some of you, maybe things have gone south during the fast. Remember, fasting is spiritual warfare. I told you this at the beginning, right? And the opposition may have gotten more intense than usual. Maybe your family's been hit with some unexpected crisis, or this obstacle's come up. Uh, one couple reached out to me this week. They, they, at the beginning of the fast, they were so excited. They're fasting to conceive a child. They want to start a family. They've had difficulty. And this week he said, Tim, please pray for us. We're going through these fertility treatments and it's much harder than expected. My wife's in excruciating pain. We're feeling very, very discouraged. Guys, remember, your enemy Satan is real. He is determined. He does not want you to finish strong and press into Christ. 
He will tell you lies. This fast is stupid. This fast isn't working. God doesn't care. Enjoy that pizza. You're all alone. That's a lie. You are not alone, guys. Jesus Christ is for you. Jesus Christ is in you. And through Jesus Christ, all things are possible. Amen? The Bible made you a promise. The Lord promises you something. He said the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So push through. Keep going. Be diligent. If you fell off the wagon, jump back on for these last five or six days. Because remember, the blessing or breakthrough most often comes after the fast. Typically, it's in the days, the weeks, the months following a fast. So it may be the spring. It may be in the summer. It may be next September. You see God's hand of blessing in your life, and you're like, where did that come from? And then you're like, you'll trace it back to that terrible winter you were fasting. And it was cold and snowy, and there were four nor'easters, but you pushed through to Easter, and God broke through. So don't give up. Complete your commitment to God. And as you finish your fast, I want you to get ready for next Sunday to celebrate. We're going to celebrate, guys. We're going to rip the roof off our campuses. Because you're about to accomplish something that less than 10% of all Christians worldwide ever achieve. 40 days of fasting. This is a major achievement. So I want to give you two words of advice just to how to finish this fast with integrity. Because I know some of you are planning to pig out. Okay, I know. I get it. I saw this post on Facebook. I appreciate this. It's a guy lying on the floor surrounded by six pizza boxes, his happy place. And he wrote, that feeling you get the first day after hashtag fast 40 Daniel fast. LOL, go to your happy place, okay? Now look, we laugh because that's just natural, right? It's a very normal urge to kind of binge on the foods that you've missed. But let me warn you, you need to break your fast gradually, slowly, especially if you've cut out dairy and protein, okay? It'll shock your system. I'm just telling you, seriously, if you finish the fast and you're like, well, I'm going straight to Shake Shack, Butterfinger Blizzard, please, and a bacon cheeseburger. You ain't going to be here for Easter. You're going to be in the bathroom, okay? You think I'm kidding. Listen to this testimony from James. He replied, be aware that if you eat too much of your happy experience after having a clean system, you can legit put your system in shock. I unfortunately speak from experience, LOL. Had to miss work for three days, LOL. I laugh to minimize the painful memories. My doctor told me I have to slowly introduce foods back into my system. Be careful and keep pushing on strong. That is sound advice. You need to break your fast slowly. Just as you weaned yourself off, you gradually wean yourself back onto a regular diet. But most importantly, I just want you to have in your mind, how are you going to answer this key question? Because this is the big question. Ready? What new habits are you going to carry forward out of this fast? What healthy habits have been established in your life that you've been, been like, that's incredible. I never thought you have taken significant ground from the enemy. Don't just hand it back. I met a man last Sunday who lost 30 pounds on the Daniel fast. It's incredible. And he said to me, Tim, he goes, that wasn't my goal. But he goes, it's incredible to me how just actually eating healthy and in moderation has changed my life. He goes, I've cut out coffee, beer, all the snacks and the junk food that made me overweight. Well, that's a healthy habit. Carry that forward. Don't go back to the junk food. Eat clean. Make it a lifestyle. If you've broken an addiction to, to alcohol or caffeine, don't just go back to your five-cup-a-day habit, okay? If you quit smoking or chewing, don't go back. You have gained victory over your flesh. Why would you give it back to the enemy? 
You have cleansed your temple. Keep it clean. Lengthen your life. Those of you on social media, same thing. Uh, I've heard from many people who said, you know, Tim, I've fasted, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and as my social media consumption went down, my inner peace went up. I have less anxiety, less stress, less FOMO, fear of missing out. That's awesome because you made a habit of starting your day not by opening your phone and looking at your email or, or text. You made a habit of opening the word of God and reading and eating the word. Carry that discipline forward, guys. Make it part of your lifestyle. Don't go back to the old you 24-7 screen addiction. So I'm just going to ask you again and ask you to take this with you in your heart. Think about it over the next five days as we get towards Friday. What healthy new habits are you going to carry forward? Maybe you're going to actually carry fasting forward, you know, and make that part of your regular routine. Just as you've learned to pray with passion, maybe moving forward, you say, you know what? I'm going to fast one day a month. That's going to be part of my regular spiritual routine of drawing close to Christ. Or I'm going to fast one meal a week, you know, just to keep my flesh in check and make sure my spirit is in the trim. If you face a big decision later this spring or summer, fast and pray about it, right? You've added two weapons to your spiritual arsenal, fasting and prayer, and they are a source of spiritual power because you are not the same person you were 40 days ago, amen? For some of you, God is doing a deep new work in your spirit. He's expanding the tent pegs of your faith. He's sensitized your heart. He's broken strongholds. His spirit is speaking to you. You can actually hear God's voice, and that's beautiful. Carry that forward. In fact, I just want to pray for all of us uh, in Claire and all the people who have been participating for these final weeks. So would you just bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the grace of this fast. And we ask now in these, these final five or six days, would you give us the grace and strength to finish well? God, even if we haven't seen the breakthrough yet, give us grace for the battle. Lord, we just acknowledge in Jesus' name, this battle isn't ours, it's yours. We hand it off to you right now. And in Jesus, we claim victory. So thank you for your resurrection power, Jesus. It's, we can feel it at work in our church. And we can't wait to worship you on Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. All right. Well, today we're going to kind of prepare for Easter in a pretty symbolic way, special way, by celebrating the Last Supper. Uh, this is the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his crucifixion on a cross and resurrection to life. And if you have your group's guide, you can turn to the last week, week seven. It is titled The Last Supper. And today's kind of cool. You're going to learn something I don't think a lot of Christians know. I want to build a bridge between the Jewish Passover, the meal Jesus shared with his disciples, which serves as the foundation for Christian communion. In the Gospel of Matthew, it was recorded this way. You can read with me. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat? What's the word? Passover. And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the what? The Passover. Now what is the Passover? The Passover is a Jewish ritual meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was unjustly accused by jealous Jewish leaders, before he was imprisoned, before he was sentenced to death under Pilate, 
before he was crucified on a Roman cross, he said, we need to celebrate the Passover. As you know, Jesus was an observant Jew. In fact, he was not just any Jew. He was a rabbi or he was a Jewish teacher. And if you have ever been to a, a Passover Seder, you experience that, you will know it includes eating special foods, uh, drinking wine, uh, telling stories, telling the Passover story in particular, singing, and a lot of other traditions. But what you may not know is the Passover tradition did not start with Jesus. This Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating was originally instituted 3,500 years before the time of Christ. And it was based on the Old Testament account of the Jewish exodus. Now, the exodus is the watershed event in Jewish history. The exodus is when God delivered his children, that is the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, right? The Jewish people were slaves under Pharaoh for 400 plus years, and then God raised up Moses, a deliverer, who helped lead God's people from slavery to freedom. So the Passover was a celebration. The Passover was a feast. It, the Jews were celebrating the fact we're not slaves anymore. And Exodus records it was the Lord's command how to celebrate the first Passover. It says this in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a what? A lamb for his family. Year-old males without defects. So you had to have a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must do what? Slaughter them at twilight. So they kill the lambs. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. We'll stop there. This, guys, is where we get three of the very traditional elements of Passover. Uh, up here, you'll see I've set up actually a, a Seder plate this week. If you've ever been to a Jewish Seder, I'll give you a little close-up here on the side screens. That's a Seder plate, and it includes these symbolic elements taken out of Exodus 12. You'll see, for instance, the, the shank bone of a lamb. That represents the, the lambs that the Jewish people were to sacrifice. You can see um, this is called maror. It is the, the bitter herbs um, that they were actually to, to taste. And I'll tell you why that was important. Uh, they had unleavened bread, which is basically just flat bread. It doesn't have any yeast in it. You can see it's kind of like flat like a cracker. And this is symbolic too. Because God's people were supposed to eat the Passover meal quickly. They didn't have time for the yeast to rise because God's like, I am going to get you out of here. I'm going to bust you out of Egypt, so get ready to go. Exodus 12 says this. The Lord said, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's what? Passover. But now why is it called Passover? And the answer is, because the Lord made this promise. He said, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I'm going to bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will what? I will 
pass over you. You get it? God's people took the blood of that slaughtered Passover lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes. They put it on the door frames, the doorposts, all the way around their house covering it. And sure enough, the Bible says at midnight, God sent the destroyer or his angel of death and the angel struck down every firstborn child in Egypt, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh in his palace. There was not a house in Egypt without somebody dead except for the homes of God's people that had the blood of the lamb sprinkled over the door frames. The angel came and said, I see the blood, and so I'm going to pass over this house. They don't get the judgment of God. The Bible says there was weeping and wailing in Egypt, and Pharaoh realized this was God's judgment on his nation for enslaving the Hebrew people, and Pharaoh called Moses. He said, up, get out, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you've requested. And Pharaoh gave them actually gold and silver, so God's people kind of plundered Egypt on their way out while they were exiting what we call the Exodus. So guys, this is the seminal watershed event in Jewish history. When God went to war and saved his people through the blood of a sacrificed spotless lamb. Pretty cool story, right? Guys, this is the Passover story that Jewish people have told their children, who's told their children, who've told their children, who've told their grandchildren for 3,000 years. This is the Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating in Matthew 26 with his disciples. They were actually in Jerusalem for the Passover. But watch. Jesus was about to take the ordinary elements of a traditional Passover Seder and charge them with brand new significance. He's saying, this actually has even deeper meaning than any of you even know. I can see some of you are already connecting the dots. See, the Passover contains clues. There are hints. There's foreshadowings. The Passover basically has all these road signs that point to the Messiah or the prophesied Savior or Deliverer of the Jewish people. The Messiah or Savior whose blood would be shed to save God's people from their slavery to sin. See, Jewish people have been waiting for their Messiah or their Savior for thousands of years. But as Christians, we believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, which translates the Lord is salvation. And here's the cool part. In a messianic Seder, all the elements of this meal serve as roadsides pointing to Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah who fulfills all these Old Testament prophecies. Last month, we actually hosted a Messianic Seder with some of our staff right here at Liquid in our offices, and it was led by Dr. Greg Haig, and it was fascinating to see the symbolism of a Messianic Seder pointing to Jesus in so many ways because there's a super strong connection between Old Testament Passover and New Testament Christianity. In fact, in your small groups this week, we're going to provide you group leaders with special instructions to lead your group through an abbreviated Seder so that you can experience this yourself. Because whether you're Jewish or Christian, the Passover during Holy Week, this is super significant as we commemorate Good Friday, Christ's crucifixion, followed by Easter, his resurrection to life. And so this morning, I just want to spotlight for you Six symbols from a Seder. Now, this is not all of them. It's not exhaustive. I just want to highlight six so you can speak intelligently and understand now how this points to Jesus. And the first is 
the shank bone of the lamb. This is probably the most striking symbol of the lamb. It represents the, the sacrifice of the paschal lamb that each Jewish family had to do uh, to leave Egypt safely. I want you to remember what the Lord said in Exodus. He said, no, 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 not just any lamb. Don't just take, you know, lamby out back, okay? I want the one that is spotless, one that has no blemish, one that is perfect. In other words, God was teaching his people, for you to be saved from judgment, you're going to have to shed the precious, innocent blood of something very valuable. The lamb was a sacrifice. It was a substitute for those who would have died in the plague. Now, what's fascinating is if you flip over to the New Testament, one of the titles that Jesus is given in, in John, uh, first chapter actually, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the, say it together, church, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, why was a lamb required to take away sin? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Because blood represents life. It's the lifeblood. And so as they ate the lamb, I want you to think about this. Jesus and his disciples. Jesus himself was saying, I am preparing to become the ultimate Passover lamb. I am going to be the perfect, sinless, firstborn son who willingly gives his life as a sacrifice for the sins of my people. And from this moment on, God's people understood that to ever be saved in innocent life had to be sacrificed in their place. Passover symbol number one, a lamb that points to Jesus. Now, the second symbol is kind of cool. This one, I like, whew, I'm already crying just smelling it. I, can you smell it first row? This is, this is maror. Can you say this? I want to teach you a little Hebrew. You ready? Here we go. Maror. That actually sounds Scottish. Maror. Uh, whatever. All right. It's bitter herbs. And specifically, this is actually horseradish. If you see, if you ever, I know most, you see red, uh, white horseradish, this is red. And as you, like literally, I can smell it now. Should I put a little, I'm going to, <laughs> that is strong. In fact, you can, yeah, that's, that was, un, that was not a wise choice. That was, <laughs> wow. That will clear your sinuses, okay? Here's the deal. Why do they actually partake of horseradish? Because it makes your eyes water, which represent the tears of bitterness, of slavery. And so every time they partake this, they say, my it reminds me, why are you crying, mom? Why are you crying, dad? Because it reminds us we were slaves for 400 years under a very cruel taskmaster, under, under Pharaoh. And the reality is it was a very, very bitter experience. And for us as Christians, right, we can identify. Those of us who have had tasted the bitterness of our sinful choices. You know, last Sunday I was praying after the service with a couple who came forward and they had tears in their eyes. I said, what's, and they said, drugs, drug addiction, it's destroying our family. It's destroying our marriage. And they both were weeping, I mean, bitterly. If you have ever seen up close the, sin, the destructive power of sin in the life of somebody you love, you know it is a very, very bitter experience. Romans 6 says this, without Jesus, you are slaves to sin, which leads to what? Death. But you see, when you put your trust in Jesus or Yeshua as your Savior, you're not only set free, you are actually, all those fleshly crutches go away. You become a slave to God. Look what Romans 6 says. But we are set free from sin, and you're now slaves to who? Yahweh, God, which is a very sweet 
experience. If you've ever been forgiven something great, a debt you couldn't pay, you know the relief. It is a sweet thing, which leads to the third symbol. This is called karoset. It's actually a sweet salad made of apples, nuts, and cinnamon. Let me show you up close. This one I don't mind eating. (laughs) It's the only sweet thing that you'll find on a Seder plate. And karoset. Turn your neighbor go, karoset. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, gosh, look at that. Oh, wow, we're really mixing it up here. Karoset represents the mortar that the Jewish people used to make bricks for Pharaoh for all of his building projects. And it's the only item on a Seder plate that's sweet. In other words, it's a reminder of the hope of freedom and redemption. Redemption just simply means you buy somebody back from slavery and you're paying a ransom. One of the ways you bought a a slave back was you would offer a superior slave in exchange. And that's one of the ways that Yeshua or Jesus redeemed us in exchange for us. We call Jesus our redeemer, meaning he brings freedom. He pays for our ransom with his own life. And he's the one who who we place all of our hope in. It's a sweet thing. He brings us new life, which is symbolized element number four, karpos. Now karpos, you can see, is actually just parsley. It's typically a green uh, vegetable support, mostly parsley, because parsley is a symbol of spring. Now, those of you on the Daniel fast, you're like, I don't want to see that anymore. (laughs) All I've been eating is the green stuff, Tim. I'm not interested. But here's the cool thing. The parsley represents the hyssop that was actually used for sprinkling the blood over the doorposts. And during a Seder, what Jewish families would do, or a rabbi, is they would take some of the, the karpas and they would dip it in a bowl of salt water. There's always a bowl of salt water on the side of your table. And they dip it. And the salt water symbolizes the tears and the sweat of slavery. And they eat it. That is not good. (laughs) That's the point. The bitterness, the tears. Remember, this is who we were until the Redeemer came and God lifted us out of our bondage with a mighty hand. Guys, If you go back to Matthew 26, you will see Jesus talk about this dipping bowl in verse 20. Look at this. This is so cool. This is so cool. Look at this. Verse 26. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said this. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. And they began to say to him, one to after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has what? Read it together, church. Dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. See, guys, Jesus realized at this moment, he was hours away from becoming the prophesied Passover land who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Incredibly powerful foreshadowing. In fact, on the cross, when Jesus was thirsty, you may remember, those who were crucifying him actually held up a hyssop branch, okay, with bitter vinegar for Jesus to drink. There's all these incredible layers of meaning in the Passover. And Jesus said, the one who dips his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And then it says, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, well, you said it yourself. So as Jesus celebrated the Passover meal, he was injecting it with brand new meaning. He said, all of these signs have been ultimately pointing to me. All of these roadmaps are saying, it's foretelling my death. I'm the ultimate lamb who will be sacrificed for your sin. I'm the only one who can bring you ultimate salvation. And see, this is where our practice of New Testament Christian communion comes from. I mean, as you know, the last two elements of a Seder are the most symbolic for us. 
Verse 26 says this. While they were eating, Jesus took what? Bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my what? Body. And this was no ordinary bread. This is not wonder bread. This is not whole grain bread from Trader Joe's. This is matzah bread. Can you say matzah? Matzah bread. It's unleavened flat bread. It's probably the most important symbol on the Seder table. And what's interesting is, in a Passover meal, guess how many there are? Three pieces of matzah bread. And Jewish scholars, would, they argue over what it represents. Many scholars say, oh, this represents, you know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the Jewish faith. But as Christians, we would say those three pieces represent the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because in the Passover meal, it's the second one that's taken, and guess what they do with it? They break it, place it in a white bag, and they bury it in the room, only to return later. Catch this. The second bread is broken, it's buried, and then brought back. Any idea who this represents? Are you connecting the dots? If you can't connect the dots, I want to show you something even cooler. Look closely at this bread. If you look at matzah, you'll notice it has dark stripes on it from the baking rack. You'll see, oh, you always see dark stripes on it. And they also pierce it with holes. You see all the holes that they poked in it? It's to keep the dough from rising. They actually have to puncture the bread. Now make the connection. The bread of Passover is pierced and striped and broken. Ring any bells. The prophet Isaiah predicted this about the coming Messiah. He wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his what? Stripes, we are healed. Before Jesus was crucified, guys, he was flogged. He was lashed with whips, resulting in bloody stripes on his back. And on the cross, his hands were pierced with nails. His feet were pierced. His side was pierced with a spear. And on the cross, Jesus' body was broken for us. We're told, by his wounds, you are healed. In other words, sin and death no longer have a hold on you. You will be restored and have everlasting life because of the death of Yeshua. Is that not cool? The Passover bread literally points to the death of Jesus. And the bread, of course, leads to the, the cup of wine. In fact, in a Jewish Seder, there's four cups of wine on the table typically. Matthew tells us this. He finishes. He says, then Jesus took one of the cups and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Who's this for? All of you. This is my blood of the covenant or new agreement with God, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, he says, I'm not going to drink of this again until I see you in my father's kingdom. Now, traditional Seder, there's about four cups of wine and the cup represents a couple of things. It represents first off the cup of wrath, the cup of God's judgment poured out on sinful people, poured out specifically on Jesus. After the Passover, you may know, after he finished this meal, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he actually prayed, Father, if it's possible anyway, would you take away this cup? What's the cup? The cup of God's judgment on the sins of the world. And Jesus agonized in prayer, and then he surrendered to the Father and said, but not my will, but what? Yours be done. I'm the sinless, innocent one, and yet I'm about to receive the judgment of God for the sins of the world. 
See, the cup also represents the blood of the sacrificial lamb who dies in our place. As Christians, we believe it is the blood of Jesus. He is our sacrifice, our substitute that makes atonement for our sin. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in him, Jesus, we have redemption, a second chance. We're bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his graves. See, under the old covenant, people could only approach God through a priest and through an animal sacrifice. But under the new covenant, Jesus says, I have become the perfect Passover lamb. There will be no more sacrifices after this one. Anybody who puts their faith in my death on the cross in their place will be forgiven and set free once and for all. So when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you understand God sprinkles his blood on the doorposts of your heart and his wrath passes over you. You are saved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. There is no judgment left for you. See, my friends, it's all about the blood. Give God a praise. It's all about the blood. At the center of the Passover is the blood of a lamb. At the core of Christianity is the shed blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood, amen? What can the blood of Jesus do? What can it do? The Bible says, by the blood, you're made holy. By the blood, you've been healed. By the blood, your conscience has been cleansed. By the blood, you're a new creation. By the blood, you are joint heirs with Jesus. By the blood, your debt has been paid. By the blood, you're set free. By the blood, you have power over the enemy. By the blood of Christ, you have a permanent place in the family of God forever. Amen? Give him a praise. That's something to praise him for. It's a celebration. It's only by the perfect blood of the Passover lamb, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, that we have the hope of heaven and eternal life forever. I actually want to celebrate right now like Jewish people do at a Passover meal. At the end of every Seder, all those in attendance, they shout together, next year in Jerusalem. So can we do that on three? One, two, three. Next year in Jerusalem. See, guys, at the Last Supper, Jesus took all the elements of a traditional Passover meal and he revealed their ultimate fulfillment and meaning. Behold, the body and the blood of your Passover lamb. So as a Christian, whenever you come forward for communion and receive that gift, you are remembering. You are remembering God's deliverance of his people Israel and their exodus from Egypt 3,500 years ago. You are identifying with the, the bitterness and the bondage of your very own sin today. And we are remembering Christ, our Passover lamb. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been what? Sacrificed. Because Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. By his stripes, you are healed. And when you receive communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because he's coming again. Amen? He's coming again in great glory. This is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of God's plan of redemption for all people. Jews, Christians, agnostics. It dates all the way from the ancient prophecies in the Old Testament to their fulfillment in Jesus, our Messiah. So we thought as we come to the end of our 40 days of fasting, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, what more significant way could we do that than to celebrate the Lord's Supper together like Jesus did with his disciples in Matthew 26? So I'm going to ask the ushers at every campus just to come forward at this time and just prepare to distribute the communion elements, the, the body and the blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ. 
As the ushers are coming forward at our campuses, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a gift for you. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Here's what it means. It means by faith, you believe Jesus died in your place and that you have by faith applied the blood of Christ's sacrifice to the door frames of your heart. It means you've actually repented of your sin. You've acknowledged the truth about you, that you fall short of the glory of God. You have not lived the life that God planned for you. You've confessed them to God, but you've put your faith in Jesus and said, I want to make a trade. My sin for his righteousness. You put your faith in his resurrection, that he was raised from the dead to give you new life. And you say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you become welcome at the communion table. Now, when we take it, here's how we're going to do it. You're just going to simply take a piece of matzah, and you're going to dip it into the cup of grape juice. We always use grape juice. Some people ask why. We don't use wine out of respect for those who are in recovery. We have many brothers and sisters in recovery. We're like, praise God. Don't go back to that slavery. And we use grape juice out of respect for them. But we always dip. We don't sip out of the communal cup. And the first thing we do is we take a few moments to talk to our Father in heaven and ask him to search our heart. So would you bow your heads for prayer with me? Father, we thank you, God the Father, that you would give God the Son to us. Lord, we thank you for the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, takes away my sin. Jesus, we come to you right now just confessing our sins. Take take a moment. Just confess them privately to the Lord. Pray to him in your heart. Father, we confess our sins and we bring them to the cross for cleansing. We proclaim, Jesus, that you are Lord of all. Thank you for dying in our place so that we might receive forgiveness. Thank you for rising from the grave three days later on Easter so that we can have the guarantee of eternal life with you forever. We are so grateful for the gifts of this meal, your body and blood broken and poured out for us. So cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse your people. Renew us. Prepare our hearts to celebrate your resurrection. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. And now I'm going to turn it over to your local campus pastor who will lead you in instructions for communion.